Welcome back to the Talk L&D podcast. Here we are in 2021, ready to start series two of the podcast. The first episode, we have Alex back with us and Graham Scott from the Learning and Development Consortium. Together, we consider what learning and development will look like in 2021, understanding the impact of 2020 and how this year will unfold in business. This made for a rich discussion, which included looking at sustainability, the well-being and the importance of valuing your teams and culture, and how this all contributes, and what role does learning and development have to, to shaping this. This podcast was also recorded during our third lockdown, so I ask that you be a bit patient with us as the sound isn't perfect, as we were all recording on Zoom from home. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and as ever, we love to hear your feedback and your thoughts on what you've listened to. And if there's anything in particular you'd like us to cover this series, please let us know. And if you do enjoy this podcast, please rate and review us and share us on social media. It helps other people find us. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Right, welcome back everybody. Here we are in 2021 and this is the first episode of series two of Talk L&D. Um, and this series, we're going to be really focusing on learning and development, what it looks like in 2021. So today we have Alex back with us, which is great. Happy New Year, Alex. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me along. And then I'm very excited to welcome Graham Scott, who's the founder of the Learning and Development Consortium. And he has over 20 years of experience of developing first line managers. And then he started the LDC in 2011 and this is really all about supporting organizations with learning and development strategy best practice um, and building um, a really great community around LD. and he's currently working with companies like nissan best companies durham business school and he also teaches on mba programs so i'm very happy to welcome graham and we're also going to be partnering um a bit with the learning development consortium this this series. So Graham, welcome. Do you want to tell us a bit more about yourself and the Learning and Development Consortium? Yeah, thank you, Louisa. Yeah, and Happy New Year to you both. Um, not a great start to the year, but I'm sure we'll be fine. Um, thanks for the opportunity this morning. Um, so yeah, so the LDC, in actual fact, has been running for 10 years um, this year. Um, and we've got some things planned to celebrate our 10th anniversary um, if we're allowed to do so. Um, so, so that'll be exciting. Um, yeah, it operates as a community of organizations, all kinds of shapes and sizes, um, which, which is good. Um, I mean, a number of things we're trying to focus on certainly encourage our organizations to take their making a conscious investment in organizational culture um that, that's that's one of the strands of activity we over many years have done a lot of work around the role of the first line leader um, and that can be a particularly challenging role certainly in some of our bigger manufacturing organizations and members um, that, that's a very difficult role. So we do all kinds of things to make that role easier, have greater purpose, yeah. Um, and, and you know what? For people to aspire to be first-line leaders, um, because in some organisations, the thought of being a first-line leader is not actually very attractive at all. Um, 
mentioned, Louisa, that one of our partners um, is Nissan in the Northeast. And it's interesting because they describe their supervisors as their managing directors. Wow, interesting. interesting. And that just gives you, I think that just tells you a story about the importance of that role, the amount of development and support that they get. And we're able to observe that and we've been involved in it. And that's a great partnership. Yeah. That sounds like um, a really interesting sort of potential case study for other businesses, actually, if that's their kind of approach. Yeah, to... yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, we have we have a, a sort of first line leader steering group uh, made up of senior sort of organizational leaders. Um, and one of the ambitions for the future is almost to design a sort of three year research project maybe to get Durham Business School involved in that, in just tracking the story of first-line leaders. Mm. Um, and, and I suppose the rigor of that is, um, you know, just trying to make the link between the performance of first-line leaders and therefore the link to organizational performance. Yeah. Yeah. Because certainly in my experience, you soon spot when a first-line leader is not behaving in the way that they should do. And, you know, and they're clearly not role models for their team members. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll maybe, maybe the three of us will have the opportunity to share that as we, as we move forward. Mm. Um, but there's certainly, there's certainly an ambition to do that. Yeah, it sounds like it's really important when you're, you're talking about it like that, really, first-line managers they are the ambassadors for the company to the teams, aren't they? They yeah. really are. Yeah. If you think about a company for the team, the junior team members, that first line manager is what they see of the company, um, you know, and all the values, everything. Yeah. And you can see how that is so, so important. Um, they, they either sell the corporate message or they don't. Mm. Yeah. And of course, when they because when they don't, their team members, of course, get even more confused. Yeah. Interesting, actually. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and it was all about um, a guy called Raj Sasodia. He, he sort of set up a company called Conscious Capitalism, which is all about capitalism being more conscious and more sustainable. And he talks about um, conscious capitalism being about ending suffering and actually creating workplaces where we support our teams and we have a positive impact on our teams our community and actually the planet and actually the whole idea about ending suffering and i just was like it's really quite a simple concept when you think about it no one wants to go into work and suffer people want to go in and do a good job and feel valued and that it seems so often it's quite a difficult thing for companies to get right um mm. And, you know, he, he was and he was actually saying in his research, because he's written a book called The Healing Organization. And he was saying in his research, he went back because he's um, Indian heritage and he went back to the sort of ancient sort of ancient stories and all this stuff was in there and it's just been forgotten. And it's like, what do you think it is that makes something that actually should be quite just a simple human human value. So challenging sometimes in companies. Mm. Well, maybe let's hope in a way that um, COVID will make organisations talk about those kind of issues more than they've done previously. And I 
I'm optimistic that I think they will. And that 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 might come from employees insisting that we debate those kinds of things. Um, it's interesting. I'm, 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 I've been reading a book, a book about sort of leading change. Forget the name of the author. Forgive me, but she makes the point about in organisations. You know, we have we have sales meetings, we have quality meetings, we have HR meetings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when when is any time and effort put behind meetings about culture? Mm, very true. There's, there's a you know there's a conscious effort to to debate those things in an open forum um so i think you know i think i made a statement recently about maybe you know that organizational culture ultimately is the only source of competitive advantage yeah i would agree i would agree and i i, I feel like in the last year that's something that's becoming more and more important I mean I know where I work now I've definitely worked places where they don't do that where we work now culture is actually we do something called contentment assessments every quarter which is all about making sure that our teams feel valued that we check in on their well-being and it's a conversation that we talk about a lot actually at um, our head office about culture and I think where I work now has probably got the best culture I've ever come across. And I don't think that's a coincidence because there is a lot of investment into how do we keep developing that culture? How do we make sure people feel valued? How do we check in with our team that they, they are feeling the culture we want them to be feeling. But that is something that is, um, you know, the culture is really important when we recruit. It's like they could have all the experience in the world, but if they don't have that right personality, particularly general managers, then we they, they won't fit but that culture oh. is and i think it's really interesting because i've worked at the places which are just like it's all about profit 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 and yeah. not so much about the people and you know i was sort of as a learning development being like well why should they care about the profit if you're not valuing them because what you're saying is you just want what you know we need to get this profit we need to get this profit but you're not really getting into your team members world and it's like you need to understand who your team members are and what's going on for them if you yeah. want them to come and meet you where you're oh. at. And um, yeah, I think that whole dialogue with teams and your, yeah. your people, I think it's going to become more important and about culture, but also like, you know, last year we saw all the stuff around like diversity becoming more important. And I think the only way we work with that is got to be dialogue and conversations Um and I think conversations has always got to be a two-way thing. It can't always be managers no. and leadership going, this is what you're doing. It's like, and, and your greatest resource is your team, right? Because they see the everyday problems. They see everything that's going on that you might not see. And because they're in it, they will probably have some great solutions to the things that are going on in your organization. But I don't know, I don't know about both of you, the bit I've never understood is the wise some organizations think that enhancing the culture is in conflict with increasing the profitability of an organization. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'll ever get that really. Um, because they're just, they're, just they're, they're a package, aren't they? Surely, you know? Anyway, I have a view sorry, on, I, have, I have a view on that. And it's uh, one interesting fact uh, that 
caught my attention this year was so um, 30 years ago the average expected lifespan of a fortune 500 company was 75 years now the average lifespan is less than 15 years wow which i thought was quite so i thought that was quite kind of interesting and i think that that maybe gets to the nub of this issue um and i have some clients and i suppose louisa maybe uh you know those very commercially minded organizations uh where actually the strategy is the budget. Mm. So the strategy of the business is making sure that we hit the numbers for the next quarter. That's it. And that seems to be synonymous. That's a relentless focus on shareholder value seems to me to be the short-term strategy for the short-term organization. Uh, so I'm really interested in uh, when we kind of look at, you know, if you questions for leaders is what sort of organization do you want? Do you want to have a short term, mm -hmm. uh, a short, short term business that will to extract value and give it to shareholders? OK, well, that's certainly an option and plenty of organizations work that way. Or are we more interested in something that's longer term, more sustainable um, and will be there for the long haul that will have a kind of a leave, leave a legacy, you know, and. Um, and I think to get to that, we need to look at giving back value as well as extracting value. And I also think I was very interested in what you said about that more systemic approach, Louisa, that there's the, um, the, the, the focus on, okay, there's our customers, sure, then there's our employees, and then there's the communities that we work in, and then there's the planet. So that's a really systemic view mm. of, you know, of, 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 of taking and giving value so I suppose here's a question, question for leaders is who are our stakeholders really, not just shareholders, but our stakeholders more generally? And do we want a short term organization which we can run for cash or do we want a long term sustainable organization that creates value for our stakeholders rather than just extracts value? Yeah, I suppose that's, my, that's where I, it's my thought process at the moment around this question of sustainability. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, very interesting and I think in fact that kind of leads nicely into sort of what we're going to look at as like themes of 2021 and learning development because I do think that idea of sustainability is going to become more important and I think um, so going back to this healing organization concept it was talking about uh, sustainability and how actually the model of business we've been used to is growth so it's like grow 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 profit 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 but actually where has that brought us to? And it talks about how, you know, we talked about the pandemic and, it, and, and the conditions that we have been living in that have sort of laid, laid us open to a pandemic and actually what do we need to change? You know, and I think one thing I realized is I worked for charities for 10 years and then I went into the business world and I was a bit like, oh, you know, in my mind, like, oh, how can I make an impact? Like I've made an impact on charities. And then I came to realize, well, actually business is so important in the world because essentially we have governments, but the world is run by businesses, really. The businesses have such a massive impact on everything we do. And so going forward, the key to change, if we're going to make things better, it's got to be business. And how can we do business better, essentially? that is going to be better for, for everybody. You know, it looks after its team members. It 
if we produce businesses that are going to be sustainable for the planet rather than taking so much um and i think that's that's one of the questions that i've been reflecting on a lot recently and also in someone that works in learning development what part do i play in terms of business in the development and the training and the leadership and change management within organizations to lay those foundations to think like that because it is quite a change of thinking and there are businesses that are thinking in this kind of way of actually I don't just want to be about profit and I think they're the businesses that going forward are going to be the ones that that do well and I think what's interesting about where I work is I work for business but it's always been about are our people happy how can we have a positive impact we have you know in our communities that we go into with the firm belief, and this is, comes from our CEO, that if we do that, the profit will come. And actually we have been doing really well for the last few years. I mean, obviously the pandemic's throwing things off course a little bit, but we are still doing well. And I find that really interesting coming from a business that was all about profit, profit, profit. It's got to be about the EBITDA. It's got to be about the EBITDA. And I, and I always remember thinking, well, that's counterproductive because your team are your biggest asset. So if you don't invest in your team, how do you expect your business to grow so it's like grow your team to help the business grow as opposed to just almost like just pushing your team members burning them out being like work 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 um so i and i think this whole pandemic potentially has made people reflect a bit more on how we are doing things um and so it'd be really interesting to see what's going to happen this year um, and with that in mind, Alex and Graham, any thoughts on what you think emerging themes in learning development for 2021 will be? Yeah, I, th I, th I think so. Um, of course, they're just, they're just my views and my experiences. Um, what, what I've tried to do just for today is, is split those into two areas. Um, and my, my first bit of thinking is, um, you know, if you want, given the pandemic, the economic challenges moving forward, how do we set the right conditions for L&D to be effective? Yeah. Mm. L&D interventions being delivered in isolation. And I guess we've all experienced that before. Yeah. Mm. Or be so, I mean, the starting point, I just think it is an opportunity for organizations to truly revisit their L&D strategy. Yeah. And I know that's an obvious thing to say, but I would encourage organizations to invest some time working out what that, you know, what they want the learning experience to look like. And and, and I think I think part of that investment should it should be an inclusive process. We, we should include our employees in those discussions yeah. rather than yeah. think, you know, the, the, the organisational leaders supported by HR and L&D, guess, guess what, we think we've got, we think, you know, we think we've got the answers to all of this, unlikely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. you, know, so I, you know, the people who are receiving this, this you know, the L&D the offering, I think I think they should be involved in that process, and I like to think that in itself is an L and D activity. 
we're not we're not going on a course. We're not going on a virtual workshop. We've been invited to shape the future of our, our organisation. Graham, can I ask a question? I've got sure. just, um, just to sort of zoom in a little bit on something that you said there about creating the conditions for learning and development. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that? And I suppose if you were to give advice, if you had somebody who was taking on the role of learning and development in an organisation that perhaps hadn't done a great deal of L&D before, they were quite new to it, what would your advice be to them around setting the conditions for L&D to be successful and effective? Yeah, okay. Um, a few things come to mind. I think laying foundations is about um, organisational leaders, first-line leaders, they get some input around what effective L&D looks like. So, so they can directly contribute. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes in organisations, signing the cheque for somebody to go on a course sometimes feels that, well, that's the end of my responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we know that's not the case. So I, I think, Alex, to, to lay those strong foundations, let's, let's invest some time giving those leaders some L&D skills for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that, would, that would obviously involve coaching and mentoring and a range of things. Um, so that's, that's one of the things I think I'd do. I suppose the other thing that I think is important is looking ahead and truly understanding what are the new skills that my organisation is going to need in the future. That's a great question, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Not, and not... And not that, that that should be a really sort of robust and challenging approach to that. And I, again, I think there's the opportunity for that to be inclusive. Let, let's look ahead and let's the, you know, maybe maybe the pandemic has changed this picture. Yeah. Um, there's some there's some good data out there. I think business schools could help with that process as well. Let's pull in some external expertise to help us to answer that question. Um, but let's just get a really um, collaborative, accurate picture of what those skills are going to need to look like in the future. Because, because yeah. if, we've got a, if we've got an accurate picture of that, then clearly we, we should invest resources in those areas rather than doing marginal things that actually won't help us to move forward. Yeah. So one to try and answer that. And I think what I've observed is I think a lot of organizations, probably until 2020 anyway, would make safe assumptions. Uh, well, yeah, relatively safe assumptions about what had worked in the past would continue to work in the future. Mm. And so if we continue to focus on last year's problem, then we will be fit for the coming year. With um, uh, the the COVID situation and now into recession and you know uh, different priorities for more limited resources, actually last year's problem isn't this year's problem. You know, it's no, going to be no, different no. and it's going to be more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Not not only problem but actually opportunity. Yeah. Yes, no, that's because... a nice way. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mindset, because, absolutely. 
because because if then our customer base are going to expect some different things, then surely that has to be reflected in the L and D strategy. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think do you know what keeps coming to mind is that kind of idea of agile as well. I think being able to to move as things change because things are changing quite quickly. So I think that me and Alex talked about the kind of agile way of working last year. And I kind of think this year as a theme, I think that's going to be something that if organizations can think like that, um, you know, in everything in the L and D strategy as well, that kind of being able to, you know, reflect, move with what, move with the changes, move with the needs of your teams, of your customers. And I think one thing really, when you think about it with all the change that has happened, and I think, you know, you're talking about as well, what skills people might have needed last year are going to be different now. And I think that agile way of thinking L&D is really important of that. And when I've been looking at themes, sort of reading about it, that upskilling and upskilling on the job and having the ability to to support people to train on the job and train as things change i think you know that agile model i think is is, is kind of something that would work quite well and that way of thinking how do we make lnd agile because well that's a great that's that's a lovely way of putting it maybe maybe that's something that we could we need to kind of focus in on so because one one thing that that you know if you do look at historical precedent the organizations that tend to thrive best in adversity any sort of adversity mm. tend to be the organizations with the best trained people so the people who can embrace variability um and that's agility you know that ability to be nimble and to to just do what graham mentioned there you know um identify a threat but transform it into an opportunity um and that 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 you can you get to that by having extremely well trained people. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll touch on it perhaps later. But in terms of the future and trends, I genuinely believe there'll be an opportunity for some collaborative learning with customers and with suppliers. Yeah. But you know, Alex and I, you know, we're gonna we're gonna think about this action learning set approach, and I I think there'll certainly be opportunities for the LDC to get a group of people together, customers, suppliers, etc. I I I'm really quite excited about that opportunity. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that, that more diversity. Um, I think the, you know. Offering diversity gives different perspectives, doesn't it? There's so much more potential there for learning. So different people in the room. But, but yeah, but 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 I think also just the 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 practical aspects of customers and suppliers solving problems together. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and some learning and some support to help to come up with a better solution. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just in my head I'm just convinced that there will be a need and an opportunity to do that but it makes sense doesn't yeah. it if you're providing a service for your customer who's going to be the best person to tell you what they want and what works for them um well, yeah it's a customer isn't it <laughs> yeah it is and, it, and if, if I'm a customer my supplier is inviting me in to those kind of opportunities 
one would hope that that would build a stronger relationship. Yeah. Because, I, because I've not had that offer an opportunity from the other suppliers that we're dealing with. Yeah, real collaboration and relationship That's, building, isn't it? Yeah, it, uh, absolutely. It's, it's both of those things, but with a real tangible outcome. Um, for both organizations um, I, th I think I think that, I think that's right I, I think that the but that that central idea goes further actually that that um, and again one of the trends which came out of last year um, I'm not sure that it was Durham but but one of the universities did some um, did research with CEOs about their projections for the future and uh, one of the one of the trends was that they wouldn't be growing the headcount they wouldn't be swelling the organization for the foreseeable future uh, but that 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 doesn't mean they'll be doing less but they're going to be working differently so so again and i think this this moves us in this direction of agility yeah. but but one of the strategies which is emerging about so how do we do more with less you know how do we deliver more create more value but with a smaller headcount um, yeah. And that is just as you described there, Graham. It's through that collaborative network with customers, suppliers. You know, maybe specialist one-man band type operations. Uh, you know, with specialist capabilities, uh, working, yeah. working more collaboratively through networks, um, and potentially even repositioning relationships with competitors. You know, how do we collaborate with competitors rather mm. than compete with them? You sure. know, old that rather old-fashioned way of of, of, of perceiving yeah. other people in our industry yeah i think yeah. that collaboration uh definitely you know collaboration community i think one yeah. thing from the pandemic is that is we have to work together well, i don't think it's I, I think it's it's not an option not not to um i think anymore i think that's i think um i think on that i think um DHL, uh, who we're working with, of course, they were heavily involved in the ventilator challenge at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and that's just a great story of organisations, as you say, from an agile point of view, having to come together very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, the speed of the process. Um, you can only think that that requirement will continue to, into the future organizations moving quickly on things yeah and um, I, I don't know maybe maybe on another discussion with, with the three of us um i could invite tony onto the call to just share that yeah. mental challenge that would be yeah. amazing. looking at the vaccine that's kind of what they've all said with the how the vaccine has come about so quickly because normally it takes years and basically for the first time everyone's worked together and shared resources and mm. just put everything behind it. And rather than being like, oh, you know, this competition, it's very much have to be everybody working together. And I think we've seen that in so many different ways. I've seen it, you know, locally here in Leeds, different businesses joining up to do things for the community, um, whereas before they wouldn't. And I think that's, you know, in a crisis, there's, um, there's a book called Try by Sebastian Junger, and he talks about in times of crisis and particularly focuses on war, how communities come together during crisis. And then actually, um, so he talks about a situation where he went to Bosnia during um, the Bosnian war and how all these communities, these all these neighbors were basically living together, growing food together, sharing resources together. And he went back 10 years after the war 
and some of the local people were saying we actually missed the war um which sounds really weird and he's like the reason we miss it is i think we people have forgotten the community because yeah. during the war we were all a community and working together and then that time of crisis we've kind of all gone back to our separate ways again and i think that when you're in a crisis it's you have to come together because it's you don't really have a choice and but i thought that was yeah. quite an interesting well, interesting perspective on it actually that yes. during they actually missed bits of the war even though war was horrific obviously but it was that thing of people coming together because that's the only way to go yes. forward so yeah. so so that's about bosnia is a good example bosnia is my favorite country on the planet it's mm. uh, it's it's an incredible place and one of the things that always strikes me is how welcoming chatty sharing giving people are and um when you talk to people about that culture about you know from the taxi drivers to the people who come and chat to you in restaurants why is it so open why is it why is it so welcoming to strangers and um holiday makers and all this sort of stuff and um one of the what, 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 you know, one of the opinions one of the views on that on why it has such a um an open and welcoming and grateful culture is because it has this awful um scar you know of warfare in very recent history mm. so everybody you know every, every everybody over the age of about what 25 you know yeah. has this really visceral memory of um living in 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 a war zone now that they don't i think there's a much, there seems to be this much stronger um desire to, to 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 make things work to um um to, to you know to, to 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 live in a positive country and um and and to see the bright side of things because they have that sort of that that memory um yeah. so there's something there's something there i think about um about how out of adversity comes purpose uh, yeah. you know a, and the, a, a real a real determination to to improve things rather than let things get worse and I suppose I wonder I mean I wonder yeah. you know hypothetically whether as we come out of Covid and you know fingers crossed that'll be by summer actually there will be some good to take to take from it in terms of actually how do we how do we with with that this 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 scar in our kind of recent memory how do we um make the economy society better again you know mm. and um will we all be a little bit more motivated to do that perhaps i yeah. hope so I'm, being the optimist just, i hope so yeah, i just i think alex what you've said there though that car carrying on those behaviors should not be left to chance mm. there, there needs to be some kind of strategy to make sure that it, it carries on you know i think in the early days of the pandemic we saw an awful lot of kindness i that really struck me i was i was seeing that every day i'm not sure, sure i see as much of that second and third time around mm. in fact that's interesting actually graham because one thing i picked up on um in terms of themes for lnd this year was that fatigue setting in so obviously this has been going on for a year and how do we keep team you know people have been working from home for a year how do we keep people motivated and still still engaged and i think that's really interesting point that you raised there you know when you think of the trans transition curve how many times have everybody gone through that transition curve in the last year and that sense of fatigue for it now and how do we support 
teams um, in in keeping that energy energy going. Well, yeah. Well, that that moves us on nicely because my my, my second area of thinking is just what some of those trends might be. And and you're right. So. You know, I'm very clear that in terms of L&D interventions, that employee well-being thing will be vital. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, whatever that's going to look like, there will just need to be an investment in that. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, I see that as one of the priarities. Yeah. Uh, so I had, I, had, I had that on my list of, of, of important features. Um if, if it's okay, I'll, I'll just I'll just rattle off some of my other thoughts about... So yes, please do, so, Graham, please do. So, so the starting point was lay the right conditions, yeah? And whatever that... And, and invest some time in doing so, yeah? And make that inclusive process and, and get get your strategy clear around L&D. You know, what, what are some of your own values around learning and development? And, and just make that clear across the organization. But sorry, so just, just moving on, I've, I've got down more bite-sized chunks of learning activities. Somebody described it as L&D in the flow of work. So I need this now. This is a new task for me. I've got a new project. I'm not quite sure the way forward. I, I need some resources around me, but, but, but I can't wait for three months when the next course comes up. Yeah. So I've got that. I think the other thing is about personal development being intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. just the organization encourages employees to invest in themselves. Yeah. yeah. So almost like empowering team members to take charge of their yeah. responsibility for their own development. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, again, the terms being used, that sort of personalization, you know, so ra rather than big corporate programs, you know, I think I think there'll always be a need for them, but but I'm but I'm not sure we'll see increased activity. You know, part, partly because of budget constraints, I think. But, yeah. but that thought yeah. of individuals truly investing in themselves, yeah, yeah, having a, a range of resources available to them, um, you know, and as I say, it's an intentional act. Not I'll not I'll pick up my personal development when I've got a spare ten minutes. Um, I just I, again I think that's quite exciting, but, but yeah, but the organisation needs to give the green light that actually give yourself permission to make that investment. Yeah, it's um it kind of comes back to this action learning concept, Graham. Actually, because. That, I think there's a kind of unwritten thing about an unwritten assumption that goes with action learning, which is that learning happens best when it's done within the context that people are working in. So it's, you know, really applied, really experiential. Um, and I think I think those regular opportunities as so as the problem presents itself, you have the opportunity to go and have a kind of learning discussion. Uh, not necessarily with a learning development professional, could be, you know, could be, right. could be 
a collaborator, a colleague, a, you know, uh, yeah. someone just a, a sounding board. Mm. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, examples which, which keep on coming up, you know, uh, often around, often frontline, front, frontline leaders, actually. Um, like, you know, those really difficult conversations, that accountability discussion, the, the colleague who isn't pulling their weight or whose behavior mm. is upsetting other people. How on earth do I go and tackle that? Tough conversation you know and that's that's where you need the help that's 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 when yeah. people go actually i need help now uh to do this well yeah um so it's that yeah absolutely that 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 in the moment that 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 sort of opportunistic touch point to, yeah. to, 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 to learn to develop so that you've got the the tools that you need when you need them yeah, um sure what do you what what do you think the mechanism for that could be how how do we make that it's almost practical those kind of things it's like they've almost seen the softer skills actually but they're actually so important in my experience is having some people seen the difficult conversations it's me that i no matter what level i've worked at people are just like oh i don't want to do it um but it's so and i think probably now particularly because everything's online it's even more important because when you're online you communication is different because you miss some of those cues and actually I think those softer skills that can often sometimes be undervalued in learning development you know they want the big things but actually I think you know and I think one of the things I'm really picking out and drawing out is actually this people-centered way of doing things I think is going to become so so much more important you know for people that work in L&D like someone like me that's always been like person-centered and I sometimes feel like I've had to battle to be like, come on, people, 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 they're really important. I feel like if you're going to be successful this year, this kind of thinking about people first, it seems like that's going to be really, really key. Um, and those soft skills, like the emotional intelligence, the empathy, the resilience, having those conversations and being able to communicate and read, read people online. I feel like that's, that's actually quite a skill. And that's something that you know, people have been trying to navigate for the next year. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, from what you're saying, Alex, that's that's something that I'm really hearing. It's what's sometimes seen as a softer skills, but actually really yes. important. It, and, and actually, what, what I've noticed again, uh, you know, soft, softer skills can mean that these, these tools get a little bit dismissed. But, but one of the reasons I'm very drawn to this agility concept is that um, actually, it's the 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 the, the person-centered so, so approach that kind of makes agile work. So um, that link between the, the conversation, you know, ideally face to face, second best through these sorts of virtual means, I guess. So the the relationship between between genuine, um, purposeful communication between people. And then the strategic structure and organization and performance of the organization seem to have this incredibly clear connection when you look at the agile literature. And I really like mm. that. That seems right to me. Yeah, no, definitely. It's always uh, bringing, you know, it's an element of coaching skills, isn't it? To sit next to the agile. So it's like agile. Same thing. Recruiting. Absolutely. Well, anyway. it. It is really that's right that's right so so when you look at a lot of these 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 really impressive ideas you know building the team of teams and all this sort of stuff actually the, the way that work is done on a day-to-day -day level is through coaching yeah 
effective work because it's people centered, isn't it? It's having that person in front of you and working with what's in, what's in front of you and what's going on for them. Um, so in that respect, really coaching, always a valuable tool, but sounds like that's definitely something that's going to become more important this year. What do you think, Graham? Well, I think to support that as well, will it be the case that people will look for more external mentoring? Yeah. So I think I think I think that could be another feature. And and I and I combine that with with L and D encouraging people to look outside of their own organization. Yeah. Just see, just see what's going on. Um and I think action learning sets have the potential to encourage that as well. You know, if we yeah. get a group of people together, we're looking to solve a problem. But maybe the starting point is let's look outwards mm. before we see what's going on in our own organ. Just let just get some external reference points. Yeah. Yeah. My, that might towards working more in networks. And you know, and I, I can kind of re- I can visualize that as a um, in terms of as a structure so how that might work i suppose in terms of a model but then how you make that work is a different question and i wonder whether action learning is something that you know so people commit to the, this network this group they commit to a certain amount of time once a fortnight once a month whatever yeah. it might be mm. i wonder if that's getting to the how how do we build these collaborative networks working towards common purpose i wonder whether action learning is is one of those tools that that makes that happen well i i I think it gives us a sporting chance to achieve some things um and just just on a practical note you know budget constraints in the future you know i don't think that's driven by cost i think with some creativity you know I, i i think we can get around the cost constraint kind of issue really yeah um, i think also what potentially interesting is i'm part of a northern coaching network and cross organization coaching so lending coaches to other organizations or yeah, mentoring yeah. across organizations yeah. to give that yeah. a different perspective um i think that's definitely i think the key things we kind of picked up on you know graham you talked about setting the kind of foundations for for learning development this year and um you know we've talked about kind of the agile way of working so we talked about agile but actually add bringing agile way of working into learning and development and the sense of collaboration within your organization but working with other organizations and networks um and really essentially it's about this people-centered way of working so asking team what do they want what do they need um and asking stakeholders asking customers and working in that way um, and really making the best use of resources and also looking at how we train on on the job and I think those key softer skills which coaching can help with so emotional intelligence communication are going to become really important this year and it's not a case of restricting budgets letting that stop you it's it's finding ways no. around that and innovating yeah. essentially and um yeah yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's kind of a really quite a nice summary of learning development 2021. I think we've done a good job. So it's just, I think the final point there maybe as well is just just you know is being brave enough to pilot and test out some of these ideas and and not not being frightened of failure. Yeah. You 
Yeah. Um, so if I, I don't know if if external mentoring was of interest, then let's not offer that to a hundred people in our organisation. Let's just pilot that with three or four people. Yeah. And just see what the experience is and and discuss it internally and say, well, okay, this has worked for us, so we'll roll it out. So it's been brave enough, I think, to 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 run with some of these ideas. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Actually, it's not being afraid to fail. So it comes like that agile, which is just got to you just got to go for it, stop, sprint, you know, stop, reflect, and go again. And I think that's that yeah. comes back to that agile way of working, doesn't it? Because agile is about it may not be perfect, it may not be exactly right, but we're going right. to give it a shot, yeah. and then we're going to stop, reflect. You know, it's kind of that constant, almost like that constant learning as you're developing. And I think that's probably one of the best ways and I think um you know that's essentially what a lot of people were doing last year is like we're just gonna have to give it a go and learn and I think that that's ultimately the ultimate thing about learning development isn't it it's, it's constant learning it's that, that's what it's all about constant learning and reflection and I think sometimes you think people think L&D need to be this big all singing all dancing thing and actually a learning culture is just one where people are able like you said give things a go and just constantly learn and reflect because the greatest way of learning is reflecting on what you're doing and how you're showing up. So maybe, maybe, maybe it's just that marginal gains approach to L and D. Yeah, find mm. the one percent every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, maybe rather than yeah. yeah, big big strategic plans and quite often they don't work. Mm. So true. But, yeah. You know, you have you have a master plan. You have this fabulous three-year strategy and then COVID happens you know and that's the thing isn't it that's that yeah. you know plan, plan yeah. you know plan early plan twice in this world but do you know as well it's kind of come to me it's like sometimes we overcomplicate it right and it's like actually the simple things like how can you do one thing better today what did you do yesterday what did you learn from it what can we do differently today you know do you, it was like how we just keep it simple it's like communicating well with people and reflecting you know well it's been great because because when alex has been running some some work for us on on time management that's that's it that's been the approach exactly just yeah. when you get up tomorrow morning what are, what are you going to do differently and better yeah that's it just 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 in terms of how you how you use your time in the day I tell you, I tell you one, one thing for me is I've um, stopped doing social media. Oh, life changing. <laughs> Tip 20, what, 21 is uh, just to turn it all off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, right. um, so we've kind of covered, I think, a lot this year. So I think what, and something else to take away is really how can you take charge of your own development? I think there's so much resource out, out there. It's knowing what, where your development areas are. And taking charge um, and empowering yourself but I really think sort of some of the key themes just go through them again is that idea of um, agile you know just just go for it just give it a go reflect every day how can you get better and you know putting people at the heart of what you're doing asking your people who are your biggest resource what do they need um, and you know those softer skills of how we speak to people and how we can engage with people I think are really key so if there's nothing else for you either of you to add i do just have a couple of questions i want to ask graham to end the end the podcast because we do like to ask our guests some questions um so a couple of questions so i'm just curious which leader has inspired you graham and why 
Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Louisa. No problem. Um, am I, yeah. I mean, from a, yeah, this, sorry, this is, this is very personal. Um, but, so I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, I'm, I'm from Hartlepool originally in the northeast. Um, and I played for a football side from the age of 15 to 18. Um, and my, my, my best friend, Bobby, ran, ran that team. Right. And everybody in the North East knew, Bob, knew Bobby um, and the team I played for. When we got to the age of 18, um, five of the team became professional footballers. Wow. Um, in, 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 in various levels, yeah. But the point is that Bobby ran the team. Bobby, from a young age, um, was badly sort of physically disabled, yeah? Yeah. Um, and he ran this team. He was a real character. And he really sort of shaped me for the future, really. Amazing. So that's so that's a very personal account as opposed to sort of sort of well-known figures. Um, he's um, he's 84 years of age now. Wow. Um, he's in a care home um, in Hartlepool. He's just had his vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, he lost his brother just before Christmas. So it's been a tough time for him, but he just remains a real character. Um, and he means a great deal to me. So yeah, sorry, that's maybe maybe not quite the answer you wanted, but that you know, that's just about people having a, a massive impact on your life. And do you know answer, Graham? Because that's exactly what it is. We often think leaders need to be, you know, out there on this big stage somewhere. And actually, a leader is just someone that inspires and influences somebody. And I think it's I love answers like this because it's real and it's it's truth. And I think you know, so often we look at all the, you know, people are famous, but actually some of the most influential people that can change people's lives are the people you meet every day and support you with your, your growth and your development. So I think it's a perfect answer, Graham. Thank you very much for sharing it with us. Do you, do you mind if I just add to that slide? Yeah, go for it. So, so one of the things that I do, um, my old school in Hartlepool, um, I actually support some of the kids with, with their personal development and career development yeah amazing and that means a great deal to me yeah um and just before christmas i was on a call with them and i was telling them um about bobby because the care home that bobby's in is just around the corner from the school and i in terms of those random acts of kindness as it were i asked them to sign a christmas card from all of them and take it to him Oh, and they wow. did. And he rang me up the day after and he was just, well, he was just in tears. Mm. Um, so that just, that was a nice run up to Christmas for me. So that was young people just doing something that I'd asked them to do because it meant a lot to me and they did. Oh. Do you know what, that's, that's, that is just a beautiful story, Graham. And I, I feel like that's a perfect end to the podcast right there. Just, you know, somebody in the community inspiring and influencing. And then you've obviously passed, you've done that and you've influenced those young people and this act of kindness, which I think is 
you know that's what this time is all about how we can show up in our communities and give acts of kindness so Graham thank you so much for that story because I think that is a perfect end okay. to the podcast today and thank you so much for for coming on it's been a joy and we'll have you on again um right. and thank you Alex as ever and thank you for listening everybody um and we'll be back soon thank, thank you, you very much bye-bye thanks everybody take care